have to sit down. <laughs> All right, everyone's very excited to wave at each other and shake hands. You are allowed to do that at any given moment. Um, but uh, I can see everyone is very enthusiastic about that. Everyone at first service was also enthusiastic about that. It's been a while, a long while. All right, my name is Amy. If we haven't met, I work at this church, which is Sierra Bible. So if you were at the wrong service, it's too late. You're late for the one you're going to go to. So here we are. Uh, I have a few things to share with you. I do want to make sure that if you are new or if you are visiting, we do have a gift for you. You may exit the room and go get it if you want. Uh, we, because it is a scripture journal for Haggai. Uh, these are awesome to have if you are a note taker. Uh, there is also a free uh, coupon for drink coffee, do stuff in your gift as well. So if you're visiting or if you're new, like, I don't know, last two, three, four, five weeks, uh, you can wander out in the front there and grab one of these. Um, and so we're going to be in Haggai today. Uh, before we get started, I want to let you know, actually, maybe you, I don't know if the junior high left already or what their process is, but they're not meeting today. So if you are in junior high and you've left, well, you'll find out. Um, if you're still in the room, please stay. Uh, you will be with us today. There are a few uh, youth group activities going on this month. Uh, the junior high is actually going to be going to laser tag at the GSR on March 18th, so that's fun. Uh, there's also a conference, this is just for high school students, at the end of the month. And so it's the 25th and the 26th of the month um, at the Foothills uh, Church in Cameron Park. And this conference is called Understanding the Times. It's going to speak on things like gender identity, suicide, among other things. Uh, this is a great conference to go to. All of these events that I have mentioned can just be signed up at youth group. So if you're attending that on Wednesday nights, you can just talk to Caleb, get to get more information about it, and you can sign up there at youth group. Uh, so that's going on this month. What's happening this week, I just want to remind you that the well is meeting tonight, this Sunday, because they meet every first and third Sunday. If you aren't familiar with the well, it's probably because you're not a young adult, because it is a young adult activity. Um, or, or service uh, that we do have. And so you're welcome to come to that. There's also prayer and worship Thursday nights. And so I mentioned this last week, but I wanted to mention it again because it happens every week. You can be any age and attend and worship and pray. I hope you already know that. If you don't, well, I just gave you new information. All right, so that's happening this week as, as well as everything else, like community groups, our mag groups, men's breakfast is this coming Saturday. Yes, because they meet every second and fourth Saturday. And so we're just a super active church, and there's a lot going on. I'm just here to, to kind of remind you of that, but there is an app. There is a newsletter. There is a bulletin in front of you. There is a connect table. So there's really no reason for you not to know. Okay? You know. All right, so let's get started in Haggai this morning with Pastor Jesse. Good morning. How's everyone doing? All right. You like my t-shirt? <laughs> a couple comments real quickly there. Okay, good. So, so I'm not in a suit, so um, why, why be in a suit? Right, John? <laughs> hey, turn to the book of Haggai. If, if you're not there, this is the book that we've been in. If you don't 
have your Bible, uh, or if you need a Bible and, and you, you want a Bible, you can take this one if you want, but just raise your hand, uh, and one of the ushers will gladly hand you one. Just keep it up. They'll make sure uh, you have the opportunity to be in the Word with us. And uh, I want to just say uh, a couple things. One, uh, the the Foothills Church that Caleb's taking the kids to is a sister church of ours, and uh, they reached out to me several months back about this conference. I'm actually really excited about uh, the conference, I think if you are in that high school group or you know someone who's in that high school group, I would strongly recommend they go to that conference. They're going to um, be blessed. They're going to build relationship, and they're going to be uh, talking about some very, very, uh, you know, hard topics that kids go through that I think will find, uh, will be helpful for them. Uh, and then yesterday, uh, I got back from a couple days uh, with our elders. We, we did an elder retreat. We do one every year, uh, and we take that time to uh, get away for, for a little bit and to pray for you and to wrestle through just where we want to go in the future and what God has in store for us. And we had a, a beautiful house over at the lake we were able to stay at that had a wonderful view of Lake Tahoe. And we spent several hours praying for most of you, not all of you, uh, but we just, man, there are a lot of you here. And in uh, between both services and those who are here seasonally and all of that, how, how many people are on that list in total? 900 um, uh, individuals on that list. Some some are not here, and some are seasonal, and uh, and all of that. And I think we got through about 150 names. So uh, we'll be done praying for you in 2030, and uh, <laughs> hopefully you'll still be here when we do that. Now we're we're dedicated to it. We're really wrestling through, uh, making sure we know who's part of our church family in the season. Many of you are new, uh, and have been new over the last couple years, and. And we're thankful for you to be here, and, and uh, it's, you know, God's good. And our church is thriving, and this is a great place to be. This is a great place to hear from the Lord, a great place to serve. Uh, and we're thankful to be a part of your family. We have a wonderful team of leaders that care deeply for you. Uh, and as much as they care for you, they, they care deeply that we are scripturally uh, sound and truthful and that we are not compromising with culture. So um, we're in this book, and if you haven't been with us, or if you have been and you haven't quite remembered, uh, what has happened in this book around the 520 BC is the people of Israel have, because they have forsaken their relationship and their covenant with God, they have been taken by the Babylonians north. The Babylonians have utterly destroyed Jerusalem. They have utterly destroyed Solomon's great temple, and they've been in captivity for 70 years upon which the Persians then overtake the Babylonians. King Cyrus of the Persians actually lets the people go, and a small remnant of 50,000 Jewish men and women journey back to Jerusalem with the commandment to rebuild the temple where God's presence is to be, to worship him and to sacrifice for forgiveness of sins. They're to rebuild Jerusalem, get back to work, and they actually delay for 16 years. And upon that time of delaying and, and working on their own houses and things like that, God sends this prophet Haggai to the people to say, you know what? Uh, quit working on your own house, get to work on the temple, get back to work. And if you've been with us for the last couple weeks, you know that they had heard the, the commandment of Haggai to go and build, to reprioritize their life, to get back to putting things in right order. And then they respond at the end of chapter one. And as they have responded and they begin the building process, where we're at this morning is in chapter two, about eight days, only eight days into the work. And so if you would, if you're able to, would you 
stand with me as we read from chapter 2. And uh, I got an interesting little message from someone in the church. They said, why do you, why do you make me stand uh, every week? We're not a cult. And, um, <laughs> and I said, you're right. We're not a cult. And if you don't want to stand, that's okay. Stand within your heart. You can lay down on the ground for all I care. Uh, this is not about being a cult. This is just a way for us to honor the word of the Lord. So let's read from chapter 2. And then uh, after the service, there will be Kool-Aid out on the porch for you. <laughs> Are you ready? (laughs) As I take a drink. (laughs) In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and all the remnant of the people, and say who is left among you, who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all of you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I'm with you, declares the Lord. The Lord of hosts, according to the covenant I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake the nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord. The Lord of hosts, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. And so, Lord, we know that this is your word, and it has an effect upon us when it is read, and it has an effect upon us when it is preached, and it has an effect upon us when we hear it. And so we ask that that effective work that only comes by your spirit and your might would have its action in us, that it would move us and change us to be who you want us to be. May you continue to do a good work in us and through us, and we trust you for it. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. You may be seated. Um, The title of the message this morning uh, is directly out of the repetitiveness of where we are at this morning. There's actually a couple places in here that are repetitive. The word Lord of hosts, and the very first message I went over this idea of the sovereignty of God and the Lord of hosts. But where we're going to focus our time this morning is on the word that is mentioned three times. Be strong, be strong, be strong. Uh, And so that's the direction we're going in and what that looks like. Uh, It's repeated three times, once to the the, the prophet, I'm sorry, once to the the priest, Yeshua, once to Zerubbabel, the, the governor, the political type figure, and then to the people as a whole. And what has occurred in chapter 2 is quite interesting, and I'm going to start with this question. Uh, Has anyone ever felt, has anyone ever dealt with uh, discouragement or frustration? (laughs) Uh, I think most of us at some point in life have, and this is what's happening. The people are frustrated only eight days into the building of the temple. The date that we have before us is eight days in after the start, after they've repented, they begin the work. And if you remember 
the, the what's there is is just ruins. It's rubble, and they probably have been moving the rubble and looking at what is left there, and they are probably overwhelmed at the arduous work that they need to partake in in rebuilding the temple, uh, and, and they're really, really frustrated. And I want to show you historically one of the reasons why they're so frustrated, and I believe that it will trickle into our lives, into some of our frustration Uh, And then obviously the Lord is going to answer into that frustration and discouragement that maybe you're feeling. So in this arduous work, uh, literally what is happening at the time, at this exact time, is it's one of Israel's busiest months. Uh, There are a lot of different feasts that are occurring uh, within this particular month. In fact, many theologians would say that Israel, because of how good God is, that Israel had a, a theology of feasting. Uh, and that word feasting, uh, if you kind of study it and, and, and wrestle through with what it meant uh, in that time and what it may mean for us today, is it is communal, communal enjoyment of abundance. If we were to define what it is to feast on the Lord and to feast into life, it is communal enjoyment of abundance, not lack uh, not, not that they are lacking anything, but it's, it's abundance. And so they, the Israelites actually had seven festivals in total. And in this particular month, this is exactly what is happening. Day one of the month is what's called the Feast of Trumpets. It's the first feast, and it's a feast for resting. It's a feast to relax, but it also is a time to reflect. It's a time to repent. It's a time to look at one's life. If you remember in the, the Bible here in Haggai, literally it tells us to consider our ways. So this is kind of what the Feast of Trumpets encourages the people to do. On day 10, there was what was called the Feast of Atonement. Uh, this literally is where the people would bring a, a sheep into the temple. The sheep would be sacrificed for the forgiveness of sins. A goat would be brought. The sins would be laid upon the goat. The goat would be sent into the wilderness and to die. And it was a reminder to the people that God and God alone could forgive one of their sins. Days 15 through 22 of the month were what's called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. This was a time to bring offerings, tithes to the Lord, and a time to remember the past desert wanderings that they went through. And then, of course, there's day 21, which is the celebration of the harvest. All of this to be said, uh, imagine now you are in this place where you have a theology of feasting where God gives and he gives in abundance. And the people would literally come together in these moments along with the prophet and with the priest. And they would gather to hear from the Lord and to celebrate the Lord and to feast upon the Lord and to dance and to celebrate. I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but, but I, I believe the, the Jewish ceremony for weddings lasted several days, not several hours, but several days. They had a, a great Uh, understanding and an appreciation of, if you will, to enjoy each other's company and to celebrate. And that is not what's happening here in chapter two. They're not celebrating, they're bemoaning. And and, and there's this question that is asked. There's actually three questions. Again, you've got these groupings of three, the Lord of hosts, uh, along with uh, this other grouping here of three questions. Who is left among you, verse three, who saw this house in its former glory. Next question, how do you see it now? Next question, is it nothing in your eyes? He begins to reflect. As you're, really, he's kind of asking the question, do you have the, the right reason to be uh, discouraged and to be distraught? And 
to be broken. What's happening in this moment is God's people are overwhelmed by their external circumstances and their internal expectations, and God has moved Haggai to speak into this. What is literally occurring at this time is he's asking these questions. The first question, he says, who remembers the former glory? I think this is important to understand uh, because the question he says, who remembers the former glory is, is again, directly back tied to Ezra chapter two, chapter three, chapter four, chapter five in that area. Uh, And we see what's happening in Ezra at that time. And Ezra gives us a glimpse of the people gathered, if you will, at the, at the bottom of the temple, as it's starting to be being rebuilt. And Ezra shares with us the exact reaction of the people. Here it is before you on the screen, Ezra 3, 12, but many of the priests, Levites, heads of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first house wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of the, of this house being laid. Though many shouted aloud for joy, so that many people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. So imagine, uh, I think the way that I've chosen to try to bring this into, into our context, it would be imagine Christmas without a Christmas tree. Imagine Christmas without Christmas carols. Imagine Christmas without Christmas gifts. Imagine the celebration without the representation of these particular things that bring us into the season. And this is what is occurring in this moment. And in this moment, when he asks the question, who remembers the former glory, he's actually making a distinction between the younger group and the older group. Because the only ones who have seen the former glory would be at least 70 years of age, because the people have been in, in exile for 70 years. And what's happening in, in Ezra is he tells us those who've seen the former glory are weeping. They're mourning. They're crying. And then the younger group who's not seen the former glory is rejoicing that the temple is being built. Imagine, again, being a parent of many children. They're all in one room. You're in the living room, and you hear screaming, and you hear yelling, and you can't help but to distinguish who is celebrating and who is mourning. This is kind of what is occurring here. And it literally says from far away, those who are outside of what is occurring, they simply have no idea what is happening with the people. I think there's a little bit of application here. I don't want to go too far with it, but I think there's an application here for us to realize that the the, the sadness of maybe what is occurring or what is occurring here in Ezra and Haggai. Those who are 70 years of age should be with great understanding of their life and of their doctrine and theology of who God is and what they have seen, they should be pouring in to the younger group. But instead, they're a great source of discouragement. Uh, If you will, they're kind of focused on the good old days, right? How many of you remember the good old days? Anybody remember the good old days? And And what's funny about the good old days is it's different. It's different for whatever group you're in, whatever age group you're in. That's different. And I was thinking about this for myself and thinking, you know, the good old days, I'm a 90s byproduct. I like the good old days. I miss the good old days of the 90s. And some of you look at the 90s and you're like, whatever. I, in fact, <laughs> I, I, it's funny because I, the, just even the Super Bowl and the, the whole Super Bowl halftime performance, you had all these people who grew up in the 90s and they're like, finally, relevant music. And then there was this whole thing about how the millennials were like, oh my gosh, the halftime was horrible. Guess what occurred for all of you who grew up in the 90s? You are now that older group. That the younger group's going, I wish they would play some good music. And for years, we were the ones saying, I wish at the Super Bowl they would play good music. But here's, here's the comparison. 
I want you to see this because, again, I want you to understand why the people are so discouraged and why God's words are so important to be strong. Chronicles gives us an insight of the former glory. I want you to see this on the screen this morning. This is, this is Solomon's temple. This is the temple of Solomon. It gives you an idea of what it looked like and the scope and the size of it to a certain degree. But Chronicles, Second Chronicles specifically, gives us an insight of how this temple was built. I want you to see what this temple literally was like. Chronicles gives us the picture. And the king, that is Solomon, chapter 1, verse 15, he made silver and gold as common in Jerusalem as stone. That's amazing. And he made cedar as plentiful as the sycamore. And chapter 2, verse 2, goes on and says, And Solomon assigned, listen to this now, 70,000 men to bear burdens, to build it. It adds to the 70,000 and then says, in addition to the 70,000, there were 80,000 to quarry in the hill country. And in addition to the 70,000 and the 80,000, there was 3,600 overseers. So you had 3,600 contractors and close to 150,000, 150,000 laborers to build this temple. And we're told that gold was so abundant and so accessible that basically everything inside was gold. Even the nails themselves that were bore into the wood to make connections were made of gold. So imagine what the splendor would have looked like. Imagine how beautiful this was and what a sight it would have been to have behold. He actually tells us a little bit more. I think it's important to read Behold, I'm about to build a house for the name of the Lord, my God, and I'm going to dedicate it to him for the burning of incense and of sweet spices, again, more expensive stuff, and for the regular arrangement of showbread and for burnt offerings when morning and evening. This thing's going to be at work pretty much 24-7. But he says again, what's the temple for? Not only the presence of God, not only the forgiveness of sins, but Chronicles adds to this as well. The reason for the temple being built, the motivation that it would be for Sabbaths, new moons, and appointed feasts. Again, the theology of abundance, communal abundance. And this will be for the Lord our God, ordained forever for Israel. The house that I am to build will be great, for our God is greater than all gods. Amen? Verse 7 then goes, so now send me this, send me men amongst these Many send me skilled men who work in gold, silver, bronze, iron, purple, crimson fabrics, trained also engraving to be skilled workers who are with me in Judah and Jerusalem. And so we're told that there are specific men with great talents to mold gold, mold iron, mold fabric, mold wood, and to make this really beautiful. Now, by contrast of the 70,000 and the 80,000, the 3,600 contractors, how many of the remnant have returned from Babylon? 50,000. So imagine for those who are older, they have seen the former glory. They've seen the work and the engraving and the purple and the linens and the, the honor and the worthiness. It was the, the splendor of all splendors. It was amazing. And now you've got 50,000 people. And really, you know, right, if you remember, Cyrus gave them the money. Well, apparently the stimulus was not enough <laughs> to stimulate the building of the temple. Or dare I say, the build back better plan wasn't quite panning out. <laughs> 
So the next question he then asks the people, who remembers the former glory, and now he presses further into them and into the discouragement. How do you see it now? Is this temple really nothing in your eyes? What is happening for the people, the reason they're so discouraged, and the reason you may even be discouraged now is, is what we might call death by comparison. Right? The, the older group specifically here is, is missing out on what God is doing now because they're so focused on their past experiences. And they're comparing. They're comparing themselves. They're comparing what is happening between now and then. And as Theodore Roosevelt said back in the good old days, for those of you who remember Theodore Roosevelt, what did he say? Comparison is the thief of all joy. And the reality is, is, is that all of us, to some degree or another, have gone through those kind of discouragements and what have you. And, and, and if we're honest, at times in our Christian faith, we, we see this discouragement, we feel this discouragement. I spent, as I mentioned with, to you, a couple days with our elders, and, and, and that time together was fruitful, and it was beneficial, and it was healthy, and it was restful, and it was good. And and on my drive back to uh, Truckee to see my wife and to see my kids, I, I was filled with that joy only to enter into a conversation before getting home that just took me out of orbit and dragged me right down to the ground. And I came into my house, unfortunately, it, it pains me to say, discouraged and distraught and, and just low, and then to wrestle that through with my wife and to pray and and as I was up late last night with my wife praying and, and we were sharing this reality of the Christian faith that, that is, as I've said before, I, I can't remember who said it, but when we don't know who said it, we just say, C.S. Lewis said it. <laughs> that the Christian faith is constantly moving from a memorial to a wedding. And you have these moments of the grave and then you have these moments of resurrection. You have the moment of Israel who is literally got their backs against the wall and the chariots are coming from, uh, to them after coming out of the Exodus and Moses leading them. And, and at one point in their mourning, they look to Moses, their leader, and they literally ask him, you've actually led us out of Egypt, haven't you? Because there's not enough graves in Egypt for us. You're actually taking us to the wilderness to bury us, aren't you? And yet God would provide manna and there'd be a resurrection moment and then something else would happen. The golden calf would be made and then there is a descent into the grave. And then as we know later in the New Testament, Jesus walks the perfect life and he's working these beautiful miracles and the disciples are encouraged by him. They'll follow no other only to see their Messiah crucified, hung on a cross, shoved into a tomb for three days and three nights. And yet we know there's a resurrection. And then at another point, he ascends into heaven. I'm sure that was another discouraging moment for his disciples. Why would this man leave us? We just saw him die. He is now resurrected. He's ascending into the heavens. Why would he leave us? And there's that kind of graveyard moment. But yet God says, it's more important that I go so that I can send you the helper, the Holy Spirit. Another resurrection moment. And then the people go back to Jerusalem. The disciples go back to Jerusalem and they're waiting in a room. Again, somewhat hiding in the room, in the upper room, because they're worried that someone's going to kill them. Someone's going to murder them because they're bearing the name of Jesus. They're not in the room just waiting for a powerful moment. They're in the room hoping they'll be protected from what crucifixion may come for them. And then the resurrection moment happens. The Holy Spirit falls upon their heads. Peter is emboldened. There's a resurrection moment of the gospel. Thousands come to the Lord. And then on the heels of the thousands comes Stephen. And Stephen is martyred again, it seems as if. 
persecution. Another man comes along on the scene and he's persecuting Christians and he's murdering Christians. And then Jesus meets this man on the road and says, why are you persecuting me? Saul, I will call you Paul. And he resurrects a murderer into the greatest evangelist and greatest doctrinal writer that we have in the New Testament. I don't know about you, but I can feel like a yo-yo in my relationship with the Lord. I can feel like a yo-yo in leadership, the mourning and the celebrating and, and all of this. And it can be discouraging. And in those moments, you wonder, where is God? Where is he in the discouragement? Right, the last couple years, the world has tried to do its best to discourage you from gathering, to discourage you from being the person that you've been called to be. And yet there is a particular commandment God gives in this discouraging moment. As I transition from the idea of discouragement to now the fixing of the discouragement, God says something that for me, if I'm really honest uh, with you, is very perplexing. And it's perplexing because he says, okay, you know you're weak. I mean, he's not saying you're weak, but we know we're weak. We know we're not strong. We know that we're not mighty. And what does God say to his people three times? Be strong, be strong, be strong. And it's easy for me to take the good old days from the 90s. And I know this will relate for some of you, but the 90s were all about, be strong. I mean, I, my dad, you know, great fatherly example would take me back, back in the day again. And in the good old days, man, he'd take me down from our little house off of Brockway above 7-Eleven down by the school. And we would drive just, just a little bit of ways, a couple hundred yards down into town to go to all the best video. Who remembers all the best video? <laughs> Few of you, good old days. And we would go, and someone else in the church this morning reminded me of exactly where it was at. You walk right to the back of the aisle of all the best video, and off to the right, there they are. There's the videos we were going to take home and watch. Which ones are available? Three are available. We'll take all three. And they were the UFC fights, <laughs> right? They were all filmed in, in South Carolina because it was the only state where it was legal, We'd take those home and we'd watch these men with no weight class, no rules, brutally beat the living heck out of each other because that's Christian. <laughs> right? And then I'd grown up on Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone, be strong. And, and I, in my own mind, have begun, you know, at that young age, I've got to work out and I've got to supplement and I've got to be tough and I've got to grind it out and I've got to work hard and I've got to press away that I would be strong, that I would be strong, that I would be strong. And it's easy for us to take the text and read the text and read what God says that we would grind out life. But how we have to pay attention to the words that he mentions next. Where does the strength come from, Zerubbabel? You politician, you. You king, where does the strength come from, Joshua? Where does the strength come from, you remnant? Name says just one word, just a few words. I'm sorry, I am with you. The source of God's strength is actually not our strength. It's God's strength. You are incapable of saving yourself you are incapable of being the rock. You're not the rock. And you're not the foundation. It comes from the presence of God. And Chronicles tells us, be careful now for the Lord has chosen you to build a house. So be strong and do it. It's easy for us to take language like this in the Bible and to think that what we must do is do more. When in reality, it's not about doing more. It's about 
being with him more. You know, he says something else in addition to the I am with you. He adds to it. He adds to it. It's not in the first place. Remember, we went over the I am with you last week. But there's an addition to the I am with you. It's actually a a little bit further. And if you notice, he says this. Verse 5, according to the covenant I made with you when you came out of Egypt, he's reminding them to their past. And he adds to it, my spirit remains in your midst. Now, this is a big deal because to say I'm with you is one thing, but this idea of the Spirit falling upon his people to do the work is another thing. It's an addition that wasn't there before. And the reality in the Old Testament is that God would literally give his Holy Spirit to specified, set-apart men. And it was only those individuals that the Spirit would cover them, that they would be empowered to do the work of the ministry. The prophet would have a special covering of the spirit. The king would have a, like David, would have a covering of the spirit. So this idea that everyone had the spirit was, was a foreign idea. And it must have been a foreign idea even here. This is a new thing. My spirit is with you. I'm with you. My spirit is with you. It's, a, it's upon you. And, 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 and this points us to the reality that, that we, we are the temple and the spirit is within us. What I love about the language that Haggai uses here is he does not say, you know, how many of you know the former glory? He doesn't say, how many of you remember the structure? How many of you remember the mighty men? How many of you remember the, 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 the carpenters and the overseers and the workers and the laborers? How many of you remember the experts that built the temple? How many of you remember the gold and remember the size and remember the, the, the amazingness of it? No, no, no. How many of you remember the glory? See, again, he's saying it's not about the building, it's about the presence, it's about God. And so the natural response would be that we would work, and they had fear. And so he's pressing into that discouragement, and he's pressing into that fear. The Jews had several fears. One fear is God had left them. One fear would be that all their work would be in vain. Another fear was that of political enemies and nations around them. This is a small remnant of people. They, would, they feared all was lost and nothing would be gained again. They feared that the work that they would be would be lame, that it wouldn't be beautiful and it wouldn't be great. How about your fears? Where are your fears this morning? You know, the reality is, is most of us in our nation, most of us as a world have been gripped by fear doing a survey that in 2020 through 2021, 80% of Americans, one of their biggest fears, government officials. I know that seems surprising to you, but it's true. Well over half of us were fearful of getting COVID or dying of COVID. 56% of us are worried about widespread unrest. I mean, what's the reality of what culture is trying to tell you right now? What's the thing that's going to click the button, get you to click the button? What's the thing that's going to get you to to buy in? But fear, that is ultimately what the news wants to sell you. What is Russia doing? What's happening in Ukraine? You need to worry about gas prices. I know they're expensive. When are they going to hit $10 a gallon? I have no idea, but you better be afraid. Food shortages, inflation, fear. Oh, what about China? What's China going to do? What are they going to do to Taiwan? Fear, fear, fear. And what is God's response? I'm, I'm with you. Don't fear. My presence is here. It's hard for me if I'm honest. 
to just know that the presence of God is within me at all times at any given moment. I want to grip myself with fear at times, and I want to respond. I, I want to be in control, and that's really what we've kind of done, if we're honest, is we've kind of allowed ourselves to buy into these illusions of control. If I get this thing, if I wear this thing, if I do this thing, and I distance myself, I, I am somehow in control. You're not in control. I, I literally was reading through a, some comments on social media from a pastor I follow, and, and somebody had literally called this pastor of a megachurch out and said, you telling people that God is in control is trite and weak. I deeply appreciated his response. and said, there's actually no better encouragement in any kind of circumstance than to say God is sovereign and God is in control. I am with you. Do you feel that? Sometimes, if we're honest, we do. We know half the crowd here did, and half the crowd didn't. We know that may be the case even in this crowd. Some of us know, and some of us don't know, but may we all come to that place where, as Isaiah 41.10 would say, fear not. I'm with you. Don't be dismayed. I'm your God. I will strengthen you, he says. Where's the source of our strength? The Lord is the source. I'll help you, he says. I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. Joshua 1, 9. Have I not commanded you? Are you a believer? We talked about obedience last week. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Mention the distraught and discouraged and, and memorial to a, a wedding. It, you, just even for me this morning, to go from the elder retreat to have the, the wedding experience to coming home and having the, the disappointment of not being totally emotionally available for my kids because I'm wrestling through my own things. And then to come here this morning and go, okay, Lord, I've got to preach your word and I've got to minister to your people and the first service I stood outside after the message and a 66-year-old man and his wife came up to me and, and I could tell that they were just beaming with more joy than, than is normal. <laughs> and she came and she stopped me and she said, this is my husband, he's 66 years old and he just gave his life to Jesus today. The man looks at me, and of course, I'm always, I've done this long enough. I don't usually always believe the wife. <laughs> so I looked at him, and I said, is that so? And he said, today is the day that I dedicated my life to the Lord. And he said, it took me 66 years, but I'm now fully committed. See, God... <laughs> God tells us not to fear because he's at work. And he tells us to be strong because he is strong. Strong in him. And as we wrestle through things in the New Testament, you can see these places, these other places where, where men and women literally should be perplexed, but they're not because of the presence of God. I mean, early on in the New Testament, it doesn't have, we don't have to go too far to see a young teenage girl faced with the prospect of life that she's going to be impregnated by the Holy Spirit 
the Jewish people would look at her as if she was an adulterer, that she was somebody who was in sin. And so her husband even was willing to put her away. And yet the spirit of God comes and says, don't fear, do this thing. I've chosen you. And so she goes literally through the laborious work to bring about the Messiah. I can only, I can only imagine if you think raising children is hard, you can only imagine what it was like to raise Jesus. I mean, we have a picture, right? You remember jo- Joseph and Mary at one point are, where is he? Where is he? Jesus. Right? Have you ever lost a child somewhere? We lost one of ours in Knott's Berry Farm one time. I thought I was going to die. <laughs> you know which one we lost, too. <laughs> one time we went to the zoo and little David was hiding in the bushes because he thought it was funny. I thought, who stole David? Yet, where was Jesus? He was in the temple. They finally find him, and he says, well, mom and dad, imagine your kids saying this to you. I'm doing the Lord's work. Why are you worried? (laughs) Then there's Jesus who accomplished the work of the Lord. And if you lived in Jesus' shoes, you would be fearful, no doubt, as he walked about this earth with the constant fear of being stoned. But he knew, because he knew the sovereignty of God, that his day had not yet come. He knew that the, his day of death was ordained by the Lord. And you want to know something, friends? The Bible says the same for your death as well. If you think you, I'm going to do it. But if you think you extended your life by wearing a mask, you're a fool. I'm not meant to be funny. And I'm not saying you shouldn't wear one. I'm not saying there's not a time to wear one. But if you think that it's somehow guarded and protected you from the almighty ordained hand of God. You don't understand God. You don't understand him. I mean, this is why Paul, as he continued to live the life that he lived, and that's the other example we have of him being with you. Paul, literally, who murdered Christians. I mean, come on, guys. I mean, that's your new pastor. We're going to hire a new guy. Who is he? Paul. Oh, Paul? What are you trying to do? Kill us? No, Paul's gone through a rebirth, and and God comes to Paul, and and he says to Paul in a vision, don't be afraid, but go on speaking and don't be silent. And he says in verse 10 of Acts 18, I'm with you. You know, if you lived the life of Paul, you would have been scared every single day. And yet Paul knew the secret of life. He knew the secret of death, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Are you afraid of death? I know over the last few years, I almost welcome it. And it's not because I don't want to do what I'm doing, and it's not because I want to miss out on life. It's because I know know to die is gain, and I do believe that to die is gain. And the harder ministry gets at times, the more I know to die is gain. But then Paul says, to live as Christ. There's an objective that has to be accomplished. I must be a vessel, and that vessel cannot be afraid, but the vessel, my friends, is weak. You are not strong, not without the Lord. And so Paul now encourages the people, if you remember us as disciples, and if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a disciple. Remember in the series of Matthew 28? Go into the world, just like he's telling them here. You gotta go, and remember, I'm with you. He adds to it, I'm with you when? Always. I'm with you in the hospital. I'm with you in cancer. I'm with you in depression. 
I'm with you in the hardship of your marriage, and I'm with you with the hardship of your kids. I'm with you. I'm present. Acknowledge my presence. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. I don't need you to be strong on your own. I need you to be strong because I'm with you. And then he adds to it, for how long? Well, to the end of the age, just a fancy way of saying forever. I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. No one will snatch you out of my hand. And there's this encouragement we then get in Galatians that we would not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap a harvest. As a pastor, there's times I wish I saw more harvest. Like the people in Haggai, I wish the desert wasn't encroaching so much over the crops, and I wish the building would be a little bit fancier. If I'm honest, I wish our building looked a little bit fancier, but again, it's not about those things. It's to continue to pour in continue to teach who Jesus is, to continue to, to elevate the Christ and to continue to teach truth and to not be persuaded to teach untruth, to stand firm. And in time, in his own time, the fruit will come. And so he adds the encouragement. If you remember, it's interesting he mentions for them not to fear because earlier in the text, uh, we read it last week, you don't have to go back too far to find it. He says, fear the Lord. And so now we have this tension that, that we should not fear, but we should have a certain kind of fear. And the reality is to get rid of fear, you have to have the right fear. And that fear is an awe and reverence for the Lord. And so are you discouraged? The encouragement to you is that he's with us, that we shouldn't be fearful and we shouldn't be like the people because you remember what they did with their fear. It's earlier in chapter one, they busied themselves. Isn't it easy for us to try to ignore fear and ignore the emotions and to ignore the things that are hard by distraction? I'm going to go work out. I'm going to go hit the hill. I'm going to go get a couple lines in. I'm, I'm going to watch a couple movies. I'm going to binge on this show. I'm going to do anything I can to busy myself to, to do these things. And yet the encouragement here again is I'm with you. I'm with you. Don't fear. Get back to work. They're only eight days. They're only eight days into the thing. And so these questions, I think, are for us as well. Are you comparing in a way that's unhealthy? Are you fearful in a way that's unhealthy? And are you not trying to be, or are you trying to be strong in your own strength? And then he, in conclusion, as we close here in just a few moments, he, he then draws us away from the building and puts the focus completely on the builder, and the builder is Christ himself. He, he reminds them, first of all, as the builder, that he reminds them of the past. I made a covenant with you. He literally is drawing them all the way back to Genesis. Remember, I made a covenant with you. And what's really, really crazy is, do you know, do you know similar calendar of the Festival of Feasts and all of this? If you remember during the same exact time as they came out of Exodus, Moses was on top of the hill. And while Moses is on top of the hill, hearing from the Lord, and receiving instruction from the Lord, the people of Israel are down below thinking Moses has bailed on them. They're discouraged, so they've got to busy themselves. They've got to do something. So they take the gold they have, and what do they do with the gold they have? But they build an idol, and they worship that stupid thing. And Moses comes down frustrated, but it's in that place even in the midst of their sin and all of this, that God decides to make a covenant and that covenant is a fancy word for promise. God's saying, in the past, if you remember, I will be faithful even if you are faithless. 
This is the promises that God has made. It's the promise he made to Abraham. And then he presses now forward into the future. I've made this covenant in the past, but this covenant will extend into the future. I'm going to build an unshakable kingdom. And this kingdom that is coming, which both points to the Messiah as well as the new kingdom to come, all of the gold, he says in the next passage, all of the things of earth, all of these things will be brought into the storehouse, into the Lord's house, because it's all mine anyways. So he says this, this is the encouragement. I'm with you. Remember, I made a promise with you in the past. And all you have to do is, all you have to do is read story after story, testimony after testimony of God's faithfulness to God's people in the midst of their stupidity, in the midst of their sin, in the midst of their depravity, in the midst of their selfishness, in the midst of their fear. God continues to be a faithful, gracious God. Then he says, okay, focus on the past, but you also need to be prepared for the future. A greater temple is coming. A greater glory is coming. And, and again, right, he doesn't, he doesn't say, look at the structure, look at the people, look at the things, look at all the numbers. But no, it's about the glory. You know what he's saying? He's saying a couple things here in regards to this temple. One, Jesus is the temple. You remember it's fun when I looked at this, I, as I was studying, I was, trying to, I was trying to find some kind of image to show you of the contrast between Solomon's temple and Zerubbabel's temple. I couldn't find it. We know very little of the details of Zerubbabel's temple. All we have, and if you Google it yourself, you'll find out what you'll end up with, is Herod's temple, the rebuilding and the refurbishing of Zerubbabel's temple. And that is pretty large and that's pretty glorious. And if you're not really digging in, you might think that the Herod's temple is better than Solomon's temple. And it isn't, but that's the temple that Jesus walked around where the disciples were so impressed of the temple. If you remember, they say, Jesus, look at the stones. Look at the, look at the architecture. Look at this thing. Look at it. And Jesus then says, see this temple? It will be destroyed, and I will rebuild it in three days. To which the response is, do you know how long it took to build the temple? You, you, Jesus, you couldn't destroy the temple in three days, let alone build it. Of course, we know Jesus was speaking of himself. And sure enough, later the prophecies fulfilled in 70 A.D., and the temple is utterly destroyed and there's no temple. It doesn't exist anymore. You cannot go and find a temple in Jerusalem. It doesn't exist there any longer and it won't exist there because that temple is now you. The glory, the gold, the splendor, the jewels, is in you. It's inside of you. Don't look to the exterior and don't look to the walls and don't look at the, the beauty for God judges not on the outside but on the inside. That which is now built that is to be beautiful and to be glorious and to represent who he is is inside of every single person. Do you see the former glory? Do you see what this glory is now? What is the glory to you now? Do you want a bigger building or you want your heart to be increased? You want it to be turned from stone into flesh? That's the work of the Lord. That's what God gives. He removes the fear because we have great fear of him. And the temple is here 
and another temple is coming in the new world, in the new Jerusalem, and there will be an immovable king in place and an unshakable kingdom and all the gold and all of its worth, everything will be there in their presence. I mean, imagine... Revelations gives us a picture that the streets of heaven are gold, like a translucent street of some kind. And there is no temple because Jesus is the temple himself. And then if you take a look at the end of this passage, what does he say? Verse 9, the latter glory of this house, Solomon's glory, Zerubbabel's glory, Herod's temple's glory, this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give what? Peace. The end of the glory for God, the end game of the glory for God is peace. Back to feasting. God's intention for you is to feast, to not be afraid, to not be dismayed, to not be discouraged, to not be distraught, but to feast on Christ in communal abundance. And this is a spiritual work that only God can do. Because if we build a house without the strength of the Lord, the builders build in vain. So we build not in our own strength, in our own might, but we press into the Lord. I'll close with this, and then we have the perfect opportunity to celebrate this reality of how God strengthens us and gives us peace and Him being with us. Matthew 11, chapter, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. If you feel heavy, and if I'm honest, I have, the solution is to run to the Lord and to ask for his help and to ask for his strength. And to know that in his crazy kingdom, <laughs> that we are made strong by being what? Weak. Strength and weakness. So this morning as the worship team comes forward, we get to participate in communion together. And I want to encourage the elders and deacons that are here to come and serve. And they'll serve you of the elements. And, and uh, we'll have the opportunity to partake together. Hold on to them till they're all passed out. And uh, like I said, we'll partake together. So if the team can come on up and if you guys can hand out the elements, we'll participate in communion together.